Welcome to Working Better Together. Today's guest is Temba Chagela. With around 15 years of people experience, Temba's roles have ranged from tactical delivery, strategic planning, capability creation, and organizational effectiveness advisory. Dimension Data is now an $8 billion global leader in information technology services, which enable its clients to leverage data in a digital age, turn it into information, and extract insights. I think the best is to start. It's just it was more about your journey and how you got to be quite excited. So yeah, um, you know, you you mentioned Swede that ended up in SA. Um, I'm half Swedish, half Musutu. So I went you know, born in Sweden, raised in Lesotho, studied in South Africa, and 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 now I live I live and work here. Um, currently the people and culture director within a fairly new portfolio in Dimension Data um, called Go to Market. So Dimension Data, um, being a global organization, has divided um, itself broadly speaking into into two two areas: services and go to market. You know, the one determines how we win, and the other one determines how we how we deliver once we once we've won a bit. And I look after the go-to-market portion from a people perspective. Yeah. And, and, and tell me you, I mean, tell me about the move from Sweden to South Africa. I mean, without getting too political right now, I mean, there's, there's, uh, there's a lot of, I guess you call it tension per se in the country, you know, and, but you, you actually were attracted to South Africa. So, you know, I, how I ended up on this side of the planet. So my, my, my dad, um, left Lesotho in the 70s. Um, he, he managed to secure a, a scholarship um, to, to study ge geology at the University of Uppsala. Um, and that's where, you know, my, my parents met. Um, and they had my brother and I, um, when we were, well, they were in Sweden. We, we left Sweden to go live in Lesotho in 1982. I was six and my brother was three. So we, you know, I always joke with my mom, she went from porcelain, porcelain plumbing and, and flush toilets to, to long drop and roughly hewn seats um, in the span of a two-day flight, right? So it took us two days to get from Sweden to here yeah, by, by aeroplane, which is, you know, in today's term, quite, quite shocking. But um, so I did, you know, my, my brother and I were, were raised in Lesotho, we... Um, of all intents and purposes, um, identify as as Basuto, although he has moved back back to Sweden. Um, we did all our primary school and high schooling there, and and the reason why I bring that up is, you know, even given the the 80s and and the early 90s um, situation in in South Africa, um, Lesotho was always a free country, and I mean, I I grew up on a on a university campus. My dad was a lecturer. So, you know, the, the diversity in, in our little sort of ecosystem has always been, been broad. I mean, I have friends all over the planet purely because their dads lectured at this little university in, in Lesotho. And I mean, some of your more um, highly touted politicians have, have degrees from that university. Um, I went to high school with Chris Honey's daughters um, because Mempo was, was in, well, if all intents and purposes in exile in this sort but grew up in a in a free in a free country the only mm -hmm. time we we sort of felt felt apartheid was when 
or a diverse family, right? So my white mom, my black dad, and two children that are half and half would go shopping in Bloemfontein. And, you know, my mom would get really great service um, until my dad walks in the store and holds her oh hand. Or, you know, we're, we're, we're sitting at the spur and, you know, a, a, the family next to us decides to move to the other side of the restaurant because we don't necessarily represent the picture of the world that they, that they would prefer. So I mean, look, it, it, and and that and that and that was the that that was the, the the full experience. I then went to the University of Cape Town in '95. I started a, a psychology degree there, and I've been pretty much in South Africa since. Yeah, and and what do you that see the, the opportunity? I mean, is there no drawback to Sweden? Why, why do you think there's so much of an opportunity within your role in South Africa right now? So I mean, look, and and my my brother and I talk at least twice a week about you know the the pros and cons of of living here and living in Sweden and there's trade-offs everywhere right so he you know Sweden is a is a perfect example of 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 a of a first world country and what happens when social responsibility and and society as a whole um takes an active involvement in or, or engages actively with 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 solving society's issues and and plays a proactive role in 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 the the citizen citizens' everyday life. I mean, I I, I was joking with somebody yesterday. You know, I, I was there on on holiday, and I I crossed the street in the wrong place, and I got a ticket for jaywalking. Jaywalking, yeah. Um, and yeah, and 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 you know, a they have the infrastructure to catch people jaywalking, and b they have jaywalking as a they'll tick on on the on the form but also they trust that you will pay that ticket and to be sure the last thing i did before we left was i paid my jaywalking ticket at the airport because coming back i know the system would remember that um i have this little outstanding issue so sweden works and you know there's it's, it's structured and you know they, they've, they've 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 got it all figured out um my attraction to to Africa and South Africa and and where we are is there is opportunity to do such great things um in this environment. Yes, there are challenges and they are significant, but uh, I believe that I haven't met uh, a challenge that I didn't want to get to know a little bit better. And 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 you know Africa and 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 South Africa have have an opportunity to do that. I mean that being said, my current role is a global one. So I now have to broaden my perspective a little bit and consider right. Asia Pacific, Americas, Europe, um, and Australia as well. Just to talk on your role, I mean, I mean, you mentioned you studied HR. I mean, what, 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 until what point did you study it? Um, I, I only ever studied HR properly um, in my honors year. Okay. Um, I, I did an undergrad in clinical and organizational psych. I did a postgraduate diploma in organization and management. And the last thing I did was my, my HR honors. Um, I put that on ice for about seven or eight years um, because I, my first job was as a graduate trainee with Macro. Um, so I went into retail. Um, first thing I ever did as you know as a as an employee was scan in no sorry not even scan in that came later when i was promoted but i booked in <laughs> trucks from the security booth at macro milnerton um <laughs> we because that, that was how, 
Yeah, but, but that's how their program was designed. So they designed their program around the flow of paper and everything starts at goods receiving and ends when the customer walks out happy from the store. So, um, I then, yeah. Is it just, I mean, your, it's your current role now and, and where you see the future of work going, do you think those like studies have helped you? I mean, do you think they add any value? Or, um, or do you think, yeah. I mean, just in terms of up and coming people that want to maybe study that, is it of any worth, you know, so, in terms of the progress of profession yeah. of HR and people? So, so you know, I, at my graduation and, 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 and Dr. Mampello was the outgoing vice chancellor, um, at her graduation speech at my graduation was, you know, a, a, a small apology to or uh, an honest conversation around how universities set up students for the real world of work. And she happened to bring up my degree, which was a social science degree, as one of those degrees that don't necessarily set you up for a clear path in the same way engineering or architecture or medicine does. Um, I would argue against that now in hindsight, you know, other than my dad looking at me going, but what did I just pay for? Um, the, the, the subjects that you do in social science. So my favorite subject, philosophy, politics at a, at a broad level. Um, you know, um, I obviously had, you know, psychology, both, both industrial and clinical. Th those, those subjects have framed how I think and how I approach the world of work. Mm -hmm. And if you look at where we're heading now, where, you know, STEM, STEM, subjects are important um you get overseas you're getting a move towards steam and the a that's been added is actually for the arts where you learn how to problem solve and how to think and i don't think i would think the way i do um if i hadn't done those subjects and hadn't done the degree um the the honors was largely like like any other postgraduate degree was largely around the the, the the discipline of HR, you know, labor relations, and, yeah. and those mechanistic, um, those mechanistic, um, yeah, ad administrative areas. The things that we're doing now, that is that stuff is assumed. What you need to think about now is how do you get people to engage with an organization from a head, hearts, and hands perspective. And for me, that's more psychology than it is labor relations. Yeah, and that's actually a good point. And you're saying, I mean, what, what we found often is that, you know, HR is often seen as an administrative role. And what we found is that, um, they, you know, they're trying to get a seat at the table. And uh, what I want to ask you, I mean, it sounds like you, you're giving <coughs> a seat at the table right now. What advice would you give to up and coming uh, uh, people within HR that, want to you know affect and make a change within the company you know what do you suggest to them to 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 like have that seat yeah so i mean w w the one thing is you need to have the the the, the discipline knowledge right you need to yeah. you know like with anything you need to master your craft and you need to understand the the, the psychology of people the psychology of business um, you know the the impact the 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 impact that the people side of an organization has on profitability. What you know we were we were talking about this at the HR Works conference, and we we're saying you know one of the things that the finance discipline has done well is it's taught everybody the language of finance so that it's almost expected. The challenge that HR has is that nobody speaks the language of HR other than HR practitioners. 
And we do one of two things. So we either try to dumb it down so other people understand us and you lose the, the value or the, the gravitas of what, what you're trying to bring across, or you try to educate people that, you know, and I mean this respectfully, you try to, to, to lead people to the same insights that you have, which is equally difficult. So I took, you know, my, I take a page out of my, my previous CFO's book and I try to talk to my discipline in a way that speaks to the people in the room. So, so you have to have a certain amount. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Being relative and, 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 and try and meet your audience where it is. Mm. Um, you know, people, you know, nobody disputes that what we do is incredibly complex and takes a lot to understand. The unfortunate reality of our lives is that if you are sitting in a group exco, you probably get the least amount of time. And the right. further you move away from the financial indicators of your business, the less time you, you, you get to represent yourself. So, mm -hmm. you know, you need to make sure that your five minutes count. Yeah. So I, I can imagine like, two insights we've seen is one is obviously data, you know, showing yeah. how the data affects company, the, the organization. And I think, and then another one that we've seen time and time again is that I think HR or the people operations per se, it's almost seen as a cost center and almost like is there should be a way to demonstrate the value of how this can affect profit you know so i mean yeah. how, how have you seen that evolve over time so i think the your statement around value is absolutely correct the the cool thing about value is that something is only valued once it gives value yeah. And that value is understood by the people it gives value to. So, you know, there's, there's one, there's, 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 I guess you can get some joy out of reporting on how many people have left and come into the company as a statistic. So 10 people arrived and five people left and therefore we made a net increase of five people. Mm. The, the, real conversation should be we lost 10 people three of them left for this reason five of them left for that reason and two actually left because of their direct manager and over the last six months we've seen people from that team leave for the exact same reason we might have a management challenge in that particular area and guess what that particular area is a critical growth area for this business and we can't keep losing people there so we need to put some HR and business um, steps in place to stop the bleeding and prevent, prevent um, scarce skills from leading our organization. That, that for me is, the, is more exciting than five minus, you know, 10 minus five. Yeah. And in terms of, I mean, you mentioned the culture word, which obviously it's an ever growing topic right now. What do you suggest is, just in terms of retaining culture, what do you think is the biggest or missed opportunity that most organizations are missing out on? I think we might be underestimating the impact, uh, the relationship between an employee and their direct manager has um, on, on, on culture. Um, middle management and organizations or the manager you're exposed to often sets the tone for how you feel and actually how you treat other people. And when you get somebody reporting into you, chances are you will manage them the same way either your direct manager did or how 
the best manager you've ever had managed you. Mm. Um, and I think that that might be a, a bit of a, a, a hidden a hidden gem or, or a bit of an Easter egg that that organizations might be looking to unlock to go, what does our management muscle look like and how does that influence talent in our organization? Are you, um, are you saying it's... That, yeah. Sorry, sorry, jumping. Are you saying it's more top down as opposed to bottom up? Whereas, you know, the influence is top down where the, the top management have a say, but you're saying the people like speaking up don't really get to give feedback around the management. Um, I, I, I think there's, there's two things, right? So um, I've never had a direct report that was afraid to tell me when I'm not managing the way, managing them the way they would expect mm -hmm. me to manage them or you know ra raise the issues with me i i can imagine that in some instances that that's incredibly difficult mm -hmm. um and as a manager you should actually be setting you know allowing the space for 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 robust conversations to happen so it can't always be a one-way conversation so you know to the short answer to your question is it needs to be trickle trickle down and bubble up not forced yeah. down and you know to, exactly. to, to, to at the expense of, 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 of the employee. And those things then become culture. I mean, somebody, you know, the, the one year, um, one of my bosses tried to make a great culture my KPI um, as, the, as the HR exec of the organization. And I sort of respectfully explained that uh, I might, be responsible for doing a few things that impact our culture but accountability sits with the entire organization and then we started talking about the things that become cultural so you know i i i gave gave the example of the one day um somebody was walking through our reception they um they took out a piece of gum and they thought they'd put the wrapper back in their pocket but they hadn't, so it fell on the floor. But one of our executives was walking behind them and without making a fuss, just picked up the wrapper, put it in his own pocket to deposit it in the bin later. But everybody in reception witnessed an exec picking up a wrapper that somebody had dropped and not making a fuss about it. Yeah. So all of a sudden, you know, th th those things become, become ingrained. I, I've had my, my CEO um, walk in on an interview that I was having and apologize for disturbing and then realizing that nobody in the room has water and offered to bring water, bring the water in. The interviewee doesn't know who this person is. And later on, when you're doing the round, the, the five, five cent tour and you ask them if they want to meet the CEO, their jaw drops when it's the guy that brought water and apologized profusely for disturbing. And those are the things that, those are the things that become cultural. So yeah. if the CEO treats you that way, who are you to treat anybody less? You know, if the yeah. CEO and, and the leadership greets the receptionist, speaks to the ladies that help out with cleaning and tea in a respectful manner, who are you to not treat them that way? That's and for me, that, that's, that's where culture begins. Have you heard of, um, I don't know if you heard about the, uh, I, I could have my facts wrong, but the, I heard about a story with Eric Schmidt, who is the CEO of Google, you know, and on his first mm -hmm. day, you know, he, they gave him a desk and he was literally just sitting next to a whole bunch of programmers. You know, he didn't have a desk. And it was almost an expectation yeah. that flat structured, here's your new CEO, um, everyone, yeah. new CEO, CEO meet everyone. And this is almost like set the expectation and, and just the culture. And I think obviously the, 
the yeah. truth be said in the song. You know? So tell me more about mm-hmm. that's something you've just learned on your journey, you know, just being in this role in previous roles and, and this path that you're on. Is there any like words of advice you give to people that wanting to become like head of culture or head of HR within organizations? You know, any lessons that you um, so, so the the, the re- I think the, the reason why I've ended up in 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 this role is that I'm unabashedly and unashamedly um, positive about the impact that people have in organizations, and that's just my thing. Yeah. So, you know, I I could be if I was if I felt this way about finance, I would probably be in a similar role in finance. Mm. But in terms of my in terms of my journey, there's there's two things, and I I said this to one of my mentees yesterday that two things that have stood me in good stead is to show up and put your hand up. Um, so when you are there, be, be present, be mindful, understand what's going on around you. And when there is work to be done, um, put your hand up for it. So and you should, yeah. yeah, and, 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 your, and, your, and your reputation for doing the things that you're passionate about will, will precede you. And you know, if, if, like I said, if I was in finance, and there's a challenging finance problem, I would hope that my name would come up in, you know, who can we put on this thing to solve it? Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's, 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 it's out of your comfort space. Uh, in fact, the, the, the reason why I was late for, for this pod was I was having a robust discussion with somebody that believes something in my, that something falls into my area of responsibility that really doesn't. And when it comes down to it, I think it was just, you know, give it, to Temba, they'll crack it, and then we go. Whether it's his responsibility or not, it's a, it's a, it's a big, hairy problem, and um, let's, let's see if we can't give it some focus in some direction. That's incredible. So yeah, just to wrap up, tell us just, uh, just a quick uh, five minutes, of how, how do you spend your day on average? Uh, so having been in this role for all of 60 days, um currently um i spend a lot of my time drinking from from five different fire hydrants and trying to not get wet um so there there's a there's a lot of meetings i'm i'm learning a lot on on the job um but it's also about fact gathering and understanding what my world looks like um, my 90 day plan sort of looks this way 30 days just learning 30 days understanding and your next 30 days you better be adding value or impact or you're probably not in the in the right place. So I'm heading towards my value and impact month next month. Um, so it's largely meeting with the, my, my different stakeholders, the people I have dependencies on to deliver. And the meetings I'm hoping to make less and the action and, and working in my environment should ramp up. Brilliant. And then tell me, what is your, um, any like favorite reading material recently that you're reading? Um, no, um, I haven't picked it up yet because no, no exclusive books has it, but I'm looking for the meditations, Marcus Aurelius, um, some reading on stoicism. It came up in a, in a conversation the other day. Yeah. So, you know, stoics are the guys that take a vow of silence until they understand something and only speak when, when they do broadly speaking. Right. Um, and then, um, I'm, Busy with multipliers, um, also hunting for teams of teams. And for fun, I'm reading Rogue by Trudy Canavan. It's a sci-fi fantasy novel. 
and, and, and any book that's actually impacted yourself, you know, in the past, you know, something that's just some book that's almost like your go-to that you've. Uh, the the so the one that really impacted me, and I think it's shaped my my thinking. Um, a couple of years, in fact, it's over ten years ago now. Um, I was given a copy of the Fifth Discipline in Peter yeah. Senge. Um, and and that that book, I mean, just systemic thinking versus systematic thinking um, blew my mind, and I and I tried to adopt those principles. And then um, Sun Tzu's Art of War. Um, I think that's a bit that that's my catcher in the rye book. I can't help but buy it when I see it. So I have the pocket edition, the executive edition, the biker's edition, and I don't even have a motorbike, but that's <laughs> and then so, so, those, so those, those two books. Yeah, and then any like product, productivity tool or software that you use on a daily basis? Other than the fact that I have been living in Outlook. <laughs> no, so um, pro- productivity-wise, one, we, we've been begun to leverage Microsoft Teams quite a yeah. bit um, for, for global collaboration. So the, the people and culture team is, spread, is spread across the globe. Um, and I mean, Microsoft have been doing some rapid deployment of new functionality around around their, their Teams product. Yeah. Um, you know, you can do the, all the tie-ins to Trello and Planner. So we, we're using that as our as our hub right now. And that's probably other than when I'm in Outlook, I'm, I'm on Microsoft Teams collaborating with, with guys across the planet. Brilliant. I think uh, your, your, your Monday, what is it? Your LinkedIn, Chucky's with Monday? My, Tell us more about Chucky that. Management Mondays. Chucky Management Monday. Uh, I, I started doing that. Wow, I think we're in the in the third year now. Um, I on on a Monday morning uh, this week. This this month has been bad. It's been Monday afternoon, South African time. But I just try to you know find something that impacted me the previous week, and sometimes it's on the day. Um, and I try to frame that within my own experience, and I share it. Um, I think. This week's quote was out of the book of five rings, which everybody needs to read. Um, and, and yeah, try to do nudge, nudge posts um, on a weekly basis. I'm not a big blogger. Um, so that's, that's my contribution. Well, yeah, well, so, so for, for all the people out there, don't forget to follow Timber on uh, LinkedIn. For Chucky's Management Mondays, is there any way, any other way, that any other channel that you're like distributing content on? So, so I'm a socially. So I, I try to keep my work. So I do all my work stuff on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um, Twitter is probably where I cross over the most. So Chakela one on Twitter. There'll sometimes be work stuff on there and sometimes social stuff. My Instagram and Facebook is purely personal. Um, so I, I, I try to keep. Keep it those, those realities separate. Like, like you know, George Costanza says, your worlds shouldn't collide. <laughs> well, uh, thanks a lot for joining on the show. Um, is there any last, anything you want to mention anyone out there before we go? No, Gary, I think the, the, the stuff that you're doing, um, different. I mean, even the way you, the lead up to this pod shows a different world of work. I think you have a bot managing this in the background. Um, you know the, the 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 prep docs, the reminders. Um, that's the way we're heading. And again, I think there's a space for people in the new world of work that we need to be considerate of. Technology yeah. is going to open up this game really, really wide. Um, 
we can't afford to have our people lost in, in the transformation. Thanks, thanks a lot. You know what, it's actually, before we go, something that's been bugging me, and we had a big debate in the office this morning. Mm. Do you think big companies can learn from small companies? Or do you think small companies can learn more from big companies? My answer is, is going to sound like a consulting answer, but it's both. Mm. So, and, I, and, I, and I'll back it up with, 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 with a practical example. So the company that I, I was with for 10 years, Bright House, um, operated as a, as a lean, agile um, management consulting shop. We were only 1,500 people. We had a good firm grip on what our four delivery areas were. We, we won bids, we punched above our weight. Um, and then Dimension Data bought us, well, asserted its, 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 its ownership on us fully two years ago. And I'm very happy to say that I've seen learnings go both ways. So you can't, you know, you can't be a boutique burger shop and expect to sell your burgers all over the world without a robust supply chain. But you also can't change the world um, and turn on a dime if you're the Titanic. So, Brilliant. you know, I'm, I'm sitting in the fortunate position that I sit in, you know, I can literally sit and watch this thing unfold and watch how Bright House influences the way Dimension Data thinks and watch how Dimension Data helps Bright House conceptualize it you know, and realize its global aspirations in a way it couldn't have done on its own. So I think yeah. learning has to cut, cut both ways. And my favorite personal example of this is that in our Bright House business, and this cuts across age and everything, one of the best partnerships we have is between a gentleman that's in his late 60s and a grad that's in her early 20s. And together, they are much better than they are alone. And it has to be the same for, for big business and small business. Brilliant, that is such an amazing story. So thanks a lot for your time. Uh, give us a high five. Thanks, Gary. High five. Wow.